This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, everybody. I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor in chief. And this is our What's the Headline podcast. Man, oh man, oh man. I know I say this every week, dude, but I'm I'm crazy excited this week once again. Yeah, man. There's no such thing as the dog days of summer in 2021. Yeah. You know what? I found that, you know, a lot of music slows down, but I found that hip hop always picks up in the summertime, man. That's when the beef start. That's when like the, the, the dope albums drop. That's when the festival runs, you know, kick in. It's, it's always great. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the music sometimes feels like it's made for windows down, you know, sunroofs open, you know, block parties, like, you know, that's definitely like part of the, you know, you'll hear a lot of times in the industry, like, artists choose their quarters, not based on, you know, because it's not about like people being in the stores anymore on Black Friday or whatever. It's about like, does the music mesh with the season? And yeah, we're getting, uh, we're getting some, some seasonal hip hop that's built, you know, built to last. Yeah, and you're a car dude, so I know it's summertime is also when the windows are down, tops are down. That's when you know the the beats are playing, and a lot of a lot of the music's made for that, right? In the cars. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's what I always love those stories. You know, my two favorite producers in hip hop are Dre and Premier, and Dre. You know, they would say that Dre would take you know dat tapes um, out of the session and just go and and be it in his Impala, like we used to see in the chronic videos or still Dre and just ride around. That was the way he tested his music. And I premier may have even told you and I that, uh, he used to, used to put in the MPV that Gangstar had and just drive all around the five boroughs. And I guess he had a crazy system and he would know if it was a song worth keeping or if it needed work. So yeah, man, I mean, as much as we're a pedestrian and, Sometimes music sounds great on the train and other places. The car is always, you know, that's like when a new album drops, sometimes even at midnight on a Friday, I'll go take a drive. Oh, wow. Yeah, word. Well, yeah, last week was a crazy week, man. Um, Lots versus Dipset had hip hop on fire and people have been talking about it for days now. Um, you know, these days, like even that the biggest stories tend to come and go within 24, 48 hours, but this one is still going. Did you think that it was going to be in the zeitgeist like this? Man, I mean, you and I did, I think, the latest taping of this show we've ever done just moments after the verses ended. And, you know, you and I were both aglow just as hip hop fans like, yo, we saw something special. But to your point, you know, usually 48 hours, sometimes 72 things tend to fade. And this one hasn't. Um, I knew it was special. I'm glad that everybody agrees with, and I believe you're right with, right there with me with how we felt on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah. You know, uh, I saw some great things. Even the reactions were great. So Fat Joe, I watched him for almost 50 minutes. Talk about this verse, just straight to camera, just him talking, no guests, no reading up comments, no nothing, just him recapping his experience, you know, first person, being in the building and how crazy it was. And it's just like, he was supremely entertaining. So I encourage everyone to check that out. I'm sure it's available on YouTube or on his IG, but you know, it just seemed like a grime. You and I talked about it, it being a throwback to the nineties and early O's and really feeling like it would be a tram. So the tunnel 
or wetlands or all these spots that like, you know, hip hop heads who like came up in those times like I did know what that meant, you know, and, and, you know, the, the danger of it, the, the excitement, the, the tension in the air, all of it, he just recapped perfectly. And then even seeing like people like Tyler, the creator, you know, who was younger and I'm not even sure how old Tyler would have been in the night. I, I don't even know if Tyler was born in the nineties personally, but uh, if so, he was probably, a little kid, but hearing him talk about Jadakiss and in a way that only Tyler would do, you know, talking about how he has a crush on him and, uh, you know, uh, he might be in love with Jadakiss after all this. It was just, it's just dope to see the impact across the board, man. Yeah, I love that. I saw Joe's like various clips. I saw about 10 different clips just be shared. And, uh, you know, Joe, we've watched, you know, obviously Joe Budden, we've watched Nori, we've watched a number of people, um, great rappers transition into media and you know fat joe for years um you know is one of the most charismatic people but has you know 30 years of hip-hop history behind him i mean joe joe was recording in the late 80s with diamond d and ultimate force and uh you know just to have that perspective and belong to every era like somebody else we're going to talk to talk about in a minute um yeah i love that and i love those just pure pure reactions to the moment you know yeah, man. And, you know, the thing is, as exciting as that was, today I'm excited about, you know, what you just alluded to. Um, well, first of all, there are a couple exciting things. So the Lux versus Dipset was on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Thursday night, we get hit with the Kanye West live stream once again. Uh, yeah, I, I hear made over a million dollars in selling like merch and like, you know, goods and stuff like that. So whatever he does with his album, he's making a killing just on these events. Uh, if you believe the rumors to be true, he's losing millions of dollars a day by staying in the Atlanta stadium. But yeah. I, I highly doubt that. Fact, you and I me think, both. I think he's probably either staying for free or getting paid to do so because it's free advertisement for the stadium. But this dude is a brilliant marketer. And I know you and I are preparing to do a deep dive on that once the album drops. But I did watch the live stream on Thursday night, man. And it was supremely entertaining. He's just, he's like the P.T. Barnum of like hip hop. He is just... A ringmaster commands everyone's attention when he's going. I don't know that hip hop has ever seen anyone like Kanye before. P.T. Barnum is a great analogy. I mean, Kanye has. So the word that you and I used in, in an article published on Ambrosia for Heads in regards to verses of like the moment of Jada Kiss's career being verses. And I'm starting to wonder, I mean, so many artists, the best they can offer is great music. And I mean, we should all be happy with that. That's music is what I think gets a lot of us in the door as far as, you know, hip hop culture to begin with, but who's capable of giving us a moment and how does a moment exist, especially in times like now where it's a semi-virtual world and, and Jada Kiss and the locks proved that very much on Tuesday night. Kanye has done a series of moments, um, you know, throughout his career, but everyone is a bit different than the next. And, you know, over the last few weeks, I personally, just as a fan, and I I spoke about it on here a few episodes ago, I rolled a little bit that we didn't get an album. But I have to wonder if an album matters as much as a great moment. Because, you know, what we all tend to talk about are these where were you moments? What did it look like? How did it happen? And Thursday night with Donda, 100%, that was it. And, And full transparency, I forgot that it was on the books. This has been... You know, I've got a bunch of stuff going on in my personal life. Professionally, this was a 60-hour work week. You texted me like, yo, Don, and we were just on some hip-hop stuff. 
And so I was about 20 minutes into the party when I finally got to tune in. But uh, I didn't necessarily come into it with a whole lot of expectation because um, I vaguely remembered what the live stream for Pablo was five years ago. And this was something else. This was special. And I know it really kind of um, impressed you on a very high level. Yeah, man. I, I watched it on the big screen, first of all. You know, the sound bar, the whole nine. So full stereo, you know, as close of an experience as being there as possible. And, you know, the music sounded great. First and foremost, the music sounded great to me. Um, I know I've read it's, it was like 24 songs. I wasn't keeping track, but it, it went quickly for me. It wasn't like it was lagging. And it wasn't like, well, actually the first one, Kanye was just kind of walking around the stadium by himself. In this one, there was someone uh, who was supposed to be Kanye, and we'll get to that at a later date, uh, just kind of like casing, you know, but also they had like a hundred extras surrounding him, choreographed, um, pretty complex choreography, actually, lights, um, props, the whole nine. It was a full major production, I'm guessing sponsored by Apple Music. But, you know, just hearing the music um, and, and watching that, you know, I'm excited for the album when it does come out. I'm not pressed about it coming out anytime soon because I've heard it twice now, you know, so it's not like I'm anticipating and can't wait to hear what it's going to sound like. So now I, I just presume that Kanye is doing Kanye and being iterative and making the refinements he thinks he needs to make to make it perfect. And, you know, we, we all know what, what perfection is. Um, but, you know, when it comes out, I think that it will live up to a lot, meet a lot of expectations and will once again establish him as a, a true music great. And, and that's the reason why we continue to pay attention to him, despite the politics, despite the seeming antics, whatever it might be. Um, the, the music always lives up to the spectacle with him. You know what I think is interesting about what Kanye is doing, and it started five years ago with the life of Pablo. Um, we reported this at the time on Ambrosia for Heads, but... You know, he made that album um, in February and, you know, after after another that I think that was the first time Ye did it of just delaying people in the streaming era of I'm going to give it I'm going to give you the album when I feel it's ready. And then it was out. And about a week or two later, he started making tweaks. It may have even been longer. And I think he redid the mix, if I'm not mistaken, on St. Pablo. It might have been another song. There were a couple little tweaks. And I remember you and I talking and I think uh, Amanda Mester Benita was also, we were all in the document or on a call, but it, it, it kind of, it kind of changed up what an album is, you know, it can be a living, breathing thing that, that can be worked on in real time. And, you know, I think we've all seen when an artist that we love, they, they remaster something and they remix something or they tweak and we all feel different type of ways about it. But I think Kanye is taking that same idea and he's using these previews like the album we get might be vastly different. It might be the same than what we heard on Thursday night. Um, I didn't watch, you know, I wasn't in the building for the first listening session. Um, I had uh, Andrew Barber who, who runs a great blog, you know, out of Chicago, fake shore drive. He was saying on Twitter, you know, it's a totally different presentation this Thursday versus what it was, you know, two weeks ago and change. And I just think that's so interesting because we hear, these epic stories of, of, you know, Tupac making all eyes on me in the course of a week, or, you know, Jay-Z taking a beat tape from Kanye West and making the blueprint, you know, much of it over a weekend while everyone was traveling. Um, it's allowing a window into the world of how an artist works. 
and Kanye is so clever. Like, say what you will about him. Kanye is so clever about bringing people in and showing folks that music is art um, on top of all the choreography and the visuals and the fashion, everything else. So I think that that's kind of interesting. And the fact that like you and I were texting each other, the locks were on the album. And I had heard that Kanye reached out to Jadakiss, you know, shortly after Versus and was like, yo, come down to Atlanta, let's work. But the fact that all three members were on that album was, was crazy. And then to get West Side Gun and Conway, crazy. Um, and yeah, it just... It, and Jay Electronica. Yeah, and, 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 and Jay Electronica too. And it's, it's funny too, because even Thursday morning, I read a news story. Um, it was on Hip Hop DX. And it was an interview that DJ Toomp had done. And, and you know, Toomp worked with Kanye on graduation. Certainly one of my favorite producers of the mid-90s has produced my favorite TI records. Triple OG within this, um, you know, music thing. But Toomp went on Be Rich's podcast down in Atlanta. And he was like, yo, I heard what Kanye put out and it needs work. There's no drums. And I saw that kind of story reverberating around. The album that you and I heard on Thursday night, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there were drums all over it, especially when you got to the, like, two or three songs in. Yeah, there, there were plenty of drums. And, you know, I think he's actually taking these and reading the, the critiques and, and, you know, absorbing it and actually improving and enhancing it based on the commentary. But to your point, like, a discussion you and Man and I had was, you know, he's treating this like software. You know, and I saw some articles about that, too, where software is constantly updated. It's not it's not meant to be the final thing when it comes out. In fact, it's meant for people to explore it, you know, uh, mess around with it, uncover bugs, make critiques, and then you issue an update and you fix it. And so in some ways, I think Kanye should just drop the music and just do it like he did last time. Just drop it. And just continue updating it, you know, and um, it's something new. Fans will love that, you know, and, you know, only like the super, super like, um, you know, stands will like know every single thing that's going on. But this one, I think he reordered it somewhat. He added a couple new songs, the ones we talked about, a couple more. Um, but, you know, most people aren't going to hear a major difference. But it's going to become like an Easter egg, like sleuthing thing where, yeah. you know, um, it, it's like it, it's a, it'll be a genius staple. It'll be a Reddit staple. But just drop it, man. You know, give it to the people and, and have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even what he did with Pablo, that was the case. Like some power power fans out there noticed the lengths of the songs had changed, you know, in a couple places. And yeah, but I, I was, you know, I, I have to say it, at different points of the 2000s, Kanye was my favorite artist um, in hip hop, you know, very much true uh, 2007, the graduation era. Um, I really loved late registration and, and I had that album early and was, was, was truly blown away by it. But, you know, politically and also musically, you know, Kanye's lost a lot of people and he didn't lose me, but the excitement that existed for a Kanye album wasn't there. And, in many ways, I kind of got the feeling um, on Thursday night that this this is the best I've heard Kanye since Life of Pablo, which was an album that when it came out and I heard it the first time, it shattered my expectations to the point where I was disappointed at first. And then that was an album that I caught up to later and, and really consider absolutely one of his, his top five. But um, if you catch me on a certain day, that might be a top three album. But this feels like uh what i expected to come after um and yet it's at the same time it's very evolved so i'll be very curious what the final product is 
Yeah, man. And to borrow a term that has also been floating around the hip hop lexicon for the last couple of weeks from the Royce and Lupe fiasco, um, more words is checking boxes. Kanye's checking a lot of boxes with this. He's got things from, you know, Lil Baby. And I think Lil Durk is on it. So he's got very contemporary music. Yachty. Yeah, yeah Yachty. Yachty is a new addition. Um, I love these real-time updates, you know, getting Jay on uh, a verse the day of the first premiere, like literally at four o'clock in the afternoon for an eight o'clock premiere on the first time. Second time around, that's news to me that you just shared about Jada and Locks getting on right after the verses um, and Jay Electronica. So he's got, and, and you know, Griselda, he's got, he's got like every kind of camp there. Um, every faction of hip hop represented on this album, but what I heard didn't sound like pandering. It didn't sound like paint by numbers. It sounded cohesive. So I can't wait to actually be able to spend time with it on my own, listen to it, really hear the words, go through the lyrics and things like that. In the meantime, the thing that's got me the most excited is that in the middle of all this, one of the gods, in fact, God's son said he was releasing an album on Friday also. And at first I thought, huh, Nas, Nas is releasing an album on Friday uh, going up against Kanye. Is this gonna be another 50 versus Kanye kind of thing where both are pitted against each other and benefit from it because it's gonna be curiosity, it's gonna be natural kind of like versus you know, two of the, the legends kind of going at it on the same release day. But I also thought, as you probably did, there was a pretty good chance that Nas was not gonna drop anyway, or that uh, Kanye was not gonna drop anyway. And that Nas would have the day to himself, but also have all the hype and fanfare, you know, around, uh, you know, the Kanye stuff that he could galvanize. And then when people saw that void, they would find the Nas album and, and, and gravitate to that. And that's what's happened so far. He released King's Disease 2. And I got to say, I really love the album. I mean, I, I love the album. I think it is. Do you adore it? <laughs> 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 oh boy oh boy uh, <laughs> anybody who doesn't get that joke take a look at our last episode but I, I will not use the word adore <laughs> in connection with rap music I use it with R&B when, I, when I'm talking about a Prince song uh, but <laughs> well played but um, I love this album I think it stands with, with Nas's best uh, I've listened to it probably five times now. It gets better every single time. Um, every single time I'll find a new song that I hadn't leaned into the first time. And dude, like I had that problem where, you know, you know how what I do. First time I listen to an album, I'm, I'm immediately listening to songs for the playlist. I'm trying to figure out what's going to fit. What am I going to want to listen to in rotation for six months, you know, eight months, whatever it's going to be. Um, what do I think the audience is going to listen to? What is not going to make you sick? Like the whole nine, like supremely focused on that. And I say most rap albums have two or three songs that I think kind of like fit that, you know, heavy rotation for several months kind of lens. This album, man, um, I got, I had five on there. I took one off today just because I felt like it was excessive, but I could easily put seven, eight on there. And the last album I can remember having that difficult a time cutting down for the playlist was uh, Buster Rhymes' Extinction Level mm. 2. Um, and King's Disease 2, man, I, th I think is, um, is definitely going to be a contender for album of the year. 
Um, you know, I think given his, you know, his Grammy the last time, I think it's going to be a Grammy consideration. But but what, what's your overall take on the album first before we dive in? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I did the same thing you did. And so I did think after Thursday night that Kanye was going to drop it. it the, the, the Apple Music event stopped somewhere about 1145 on the East Coast when it faded to black. And I was like, oh, this is just a heads up that in 15 minutes we're going to get the album. And I felt for Nas. I, um, this is one of the shortest rollouts I've ever seen from Nas, a little over a week. Uh, he announced it. And then last week on, I think, Tuesday, he gave the track list. Um, but there have been no talking points really that I've seen, um, you know, in terms of letting people know why now and, and what this would be. He just kind of lets the music do. And that didn't happen. And then I thought, OK, we'll get Kanye only on Apple Music. And that didn't happen. So Thursday night, I did exactly what you did. I checked three songs very closely, the ones that jumped out at me with the high profile features and then Death Row East, because, you know, just growing up in the music that I loved, I was really curious what Nas would have to say. And I skimmed the rest of the album. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this justice. And I went to bed and I got up Friday morning and I pressed play and I've listened to it. You said five for you. I'm on six or seven of full run throughs. And then there's certain songs that I've just come back to. And the playlist has absolutely been part of that. I am very pleasantly surprised with this album. I, um, I think that <clears throat> it's truly Nas's best album of the last 10 years, um, in my opinion. Um, and with time, I mean, you know, the, 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 the paint is still very dry on this one. It could prove to be even more powerful within his discography than that. But if you were to understand what Nas and his, you know, um, I guess I have to speculate upper 40s is like, this is, this is a great window into um, the man and what's going on in his world. And I think, again, you know, Hit Boy, so prolific, so prolific in 2020, um, very prolific in 2021. And he came with a whole different chamber, um, you know, this time around. So I'm, I, you know, I echo a lot of the way you feel about it. So you said the last 10 years, um, I had to go back and look while you were saying that. So Life is Good dropped in 2012. Oh, okay. That's interesting. In my mind, I had it as 2011. Are you, it was 2012? Yeah, it was 2012. Okay. Uh, it's July 13, 2012. So does that change? Are you going to say it's Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's interesting because for me, and, and that's one of those albums, you know, Life is Good is a funny album. I've never been married. I've never been divorced. But I appreciated that album so much. And I thought it was such a standalone great joint. But it was one of those that, you know, objectively, I held in the highest regard. Sonically, I think it's a wonderful album. Um, yeah, that might still be a level up to this one, but that's that's kind of TBD for me. What about you? I mean, I know how much that record means to you. Man, I, I love that record. It's probably, dude, it, it could be my second favorite Nas album, you know, um, after Illmatic. I love Godson. Stillmatic is great. But like you said, like in terms of subject matter, depth, I, I personally see it as the first grown man rap album, or at least the first mainstream where you had a, a, an artist who came out as a teenager and then you know, talking about whatever teenagers talk about and then talking about divorce, talking about fatherhood, talking about like all these things that resonate deeply with myself and, and many other people who are you know, 40 plus that album to me was a game changer and sonically it was tremendous. You know, he and Large Professor reunited, no ID laced it. Um, 
just really, and just how personal it was, like really having the Khalees dress on the, on the cover. That album was incredible. Um, I just looked through the track list though, man, and it's, it's got, it's just got so many great songs from the introduction to, uh, you know, uh, it's got uh, Locomotion, which Loc- Loc- Locomotive with Large Professor, A Queen Story is great, Accident Murderers with Rick Ross, uh, Daughters, which is like a classic father-daughter song. I'd never heard a song like that before. Nasty, that was my joint too. Nasty was your joint. He had a song with Amy Winehouse, yeah. Terry Wine, Bye Baby, which is the you know the song for Khalees Stay, the No ID joint. Um, I had heard that sample first with um, Sahai on Whoop De Doo, but mm. but No ID flipped it. Um, that jazz sample, crazy um, on Stay. Um, it's got a lot of great songs on it, man. But but when you said that, I gotta think, I gotta step back and you know, I got like eight or nine joints on King's Disease Two that I love. So I'm probably pretty neck and neck with it. I gotta sit and, and Nas is also dropping lots of gems for where he is in life right now, too, on this one. So subject matter wise, I can't say that this one is lacking either. Absolutely so you, not. You you yeah. you're 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 um your slip there might have actually been correct, you know, <laughs> yeah. at least, you know, I, I might share that opinion. So um, I got a, so I got, I got a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, I think this is Nas' best one, two album punch um, since Stillmatic and Godson. Um, I don't know if I'm prepared to say that it's better than those two, just because I don't know that King's disease one is better than either one of those two albums there. Right. Uh, but but I would put King Disease 2 against those two albums. Um, you yeah. Know, and, you know, that's not saying that there aren't songs on those two albums that are more iconic, that are bigger, you know, One Mic, you know, um, they're... Um, uh, made You Look. Ether, Made You Look, yeah. There are lots of songs that are, you know, part of Nas's catalog that, you know, can't be bested, but I'm just talking about complete bodies of work as albums. Yeah. And we, you know, one of the things that we get a lot of love, but the one thing we get hate on all the time is that we said that Nas only has one classic album. <laughs> um, that is not disparaging Nas at all uh, or the greatness of some of the albums. But for me, what makes a classic album is, you know, it's unskippable. There's you know, one track, maybe two to throw away, but preferably none. Um, it's timeless. It is, you know, cohesive. You know, there are there are just and it's repeatable just again and again and again. And I think there are a lot of Nas albums out there where people have just forgotten about tons of songs because they don't they don't, you know, stand that test of time. Um, that being said, this one, I think, has a ton. And King's Disease, I looked at the track list today again. It's got like six or seven cuts that I still rock with. It was in heavy rotation on um the playlist for a long time full circle was my joint with um you know uh, the front ultra black is incredible um you know all all bad uh with anderson pack is amazing to me i know you love car number 83 i think 87 um there are a lot of good album songs on that so it's a good album too but in terms of one two combination like back to back I can't think of a, of a better time. Uh, can you? You send Stomatic and Godson. Absolutely not. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the untitled album in 2008. 
Um, I wouldn't call it a classic, but I think that Nas had some incredible moments on there. And but the what that did into distant relatives, that was just a really odd journey. And I feel like Nas for for a lot of the first decade of the 2000s and the later part was just trying to figure out who he is. And Nas, like Busta Rhymes, like Snoop Dogg, like Fat Joe, can be many things to make. Like he has a bunch of different audiences. And I think this album, you know, King's Disease 2 is great because Nas, instead of just trying to check all those boxes, to use that term in a different way, he just he just was authentic with himself. And he's not concerned with giving you that one song that could have, you know, been a nomadic or, or does this or does that. This is just very simply Nas where he's at now, unapologetically. And I think it works. And I also think this is um, a top three cohesive album for Nas I mean Illmatic one of the reasons why it is arguably the greatest hip-hop album of all time which is something that I've motioned at at various times Um, and then Life is Good this is number three this is right up in there to me of of just an album that that plays really well end to end there are songs and we'll talk about them in a second that I think you or I or any of anybody listening or watching can probably say is not necessary it's not an essential song but there's nothing that sticks out like a sore thumb. There's nothing on here that's cringe. There's nothing on here that, you know, just feels giantly out of place. And I commend Nas and I commend Hit Boy on that because that applies to the lyrical themes as well as the music itself. And that being said, neither one of these guys as artists stayed in any one corner. They moved around. There's a lot of dynamic qualities to King's Disease too, but I was thoroughly impressed because like you said, Thursday night, I felt like Nas might be coming in for a kind of, you know, eclipsed moment, which is not the way I want to see one of our goats get treated. Um, and instead, a lot of this weekend, you know, a lot of the fanfare and hip hop is going to Nas. And, you know, especially coming off of watching Jada Kiss get his flowers, just what a great week. Yo, man, and, and you nailed it. Like Nas might be the Tim Duncan of hip hop. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's so unassuming and so laid back yet so great so fundamental like with this rollout there, there was no fanfare he just said yo i'm putting out an album like that's it like there was not there was no single there was nothing like just putting out an album king's disease 2 coming on friday that was it and then he drops this thing that, that this this like a, a masterpiece and it's like wow okay cool um you know and he has any we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute he, he keeps having to remind people who he is you know, as great as he is, you know, having arguably the greatest album of all time, uh, you know, being recognized as a top five MC for decades now, it's still a surprise to people when he drops something that is fantastic. And I think part of that is because of what we talked about before, that the albums haven't always lived up to who he is as an MC. Uh, but when it, when it connects, and I think he knew what this was going to do, which is why he just let the music speak for itself. Um, but you talked about Hit Boy. At this point now, he and Hit Boy are locked in in a way that I haven't seen an MC and a producer lock in in a long time, and especially not at this stage of a career. You know, there are a lot of uh, MC producer tandems that start off together. You know, so you had, you know, uh, Snoop and Dre. You had Snoop and M or Dre and M. You had like Manny Fresh and Wayne. You had um, Swizz and, and, and X. Um, you know, there have been a lot of people who have like dropped together, Rick Rubin and, and LL. Um, 
and have had like a kind of a magic chemistry and formula together. But I can't think of many times when that kind of reunion has happened at such a late stage of an MC's career. Can you think of can you think of other instances like that? Freddie gives a mad lib might be a good example. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, and the case could be made that Pinata, you know, started in the early like 2011. That 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 was already further out. You know that that that, that you know Gibbs was still figuring himself out. Madlib was established, but this kind of reminds me of that. You know, um, that's a and, different one. That's a different. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mers and Ninth Wonder had a really great chemistry, and you know, Ninth was new to a lot of us. Mers had been around for at that point, you know, seven, eight years, but this is something special. You're absolutely right. And I, I mean, Nas, let's, let's be real for a second too. Nas's Achilles heel is beat, you know, big beat picking. That's a running joke in hip hop, whether you agree with it or you advocate on behalf of Nas, um, Nas is always going to be judged for the beats he picks, especially when his hallmark is Illmatic, which is, you know, I mean, that had the dream team of producers for its time. And Hit Boy, when he first announced in 2020 that he was making an album with Hit Boy, I don't think anybody was overjoyed by it. And they made a Grammy-winning album that certainly did not disappoint. And I think both of them um, enhanced and improved themselves for, for KD, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a few more. So um, going back, I'm going to say LL Cool J and Marley Marl. Okay. I think Marley Marl brought LL Cool J's career back, even though L says it wasn't a comeback, you know, um, he had definitely fallen off a bit in the eyes of a lot of people. And Marley completely changed his sound and updated him for another decade, you know? So I think that, that Marley Mall and LL fit that, although they didn't continue to work together in the same way that, that Hit Boy and, and Nas have. Um, another one I'm gonna give you is um, LP and Killer Mike. Mm, great example. I think that one is like, you know, it speaks for itself, you know, it was so good that they, they formed a group and I don't see the two of them working together without each other. You know, again, that they're, they're just you know locked in like that. You know, another one that um, isn't quite as forged and steel as that one, but I think a lot of people have respect for is Royce and Preem mm. Prime, you know, um, uh, you know, and they had worked together earlier in Royce's career. But what they did together as Prime, I think, took Royce to a different level. And a lot of people don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm even thinking about this real time. You know, the, the resurgence in Royce's career, I think, um, owes a lot to that partnership that he had with Prime. Yeah. Because it was after that, I believe, that, um, you know, um, Layers came and then like a Book of Ryan. Um, and, Certainly uh, Book of Ryan. Yeah, I'm trying to. And, and you know, another good example. I mean, we only got one album and, and those are great points. But Jay-Z and No ID. I mean, to see those two guys. I mean, we got DOA for Blueprint 3, which still to this day, my favorite song on that album. And then when they did 444 together, um, I mean, these were guys that had been moving in, in different circles throughout the years then made. I know you you consider it one of Jay's absolute best albums. Not that I don't, but uh that's a good example, too. I mean, those are two 20-year vets. Yeah, and I'm going to say uh, Jay and Yay fit that category, too. Mm. You know, um, I think that Blueprint definitely repositioned Jay, too, for a decade. And then him and Kanye coming together again for Watch the Throne was, was similar. But, you know, Nas and Hit Boy, man, they, they got something special. And it's interesting to me, too, because there's that Swiss Beats, there's a mythical Swiss Beats album with Nas that's been discussed for a long time now. That never and one with RZA too, right? Yeah, never surfaced. But at this point, like 
I don't know that I've heard Nas sound better, you know, um, cohesively. Like, I think that Hit Boy is able to go at a lot of different speeds and playing at a lot of different lanes for Nas. So he can do the boom bap, he can do the contemporary stuff, he can do the soulful beat, he can do the jazz beat. He can do a lot, of, he can check a lot of boxes for Nas, um, but have him sound contemporary without sounding like he's chasing. Yeah, I, I really like that assessment. The other thing that Hit Boy does, which I feel like is true of Alchemist and Derringer and, and, and probably Mad Lib too, he never outshines the, the, the MC. I mean, he gives you his A game, but at a time when I feel like we are a beats forward culture in the mainstream, you know, and I feel like Swizz Beats can play into that. Swizz has made tracks that very pedestrian MCs can sound phenomenal on. And I'm not going to name names because today isn't the day, but I think we can all, we can all see that. Um, Hit Boy allows the focus to be on the lyrics and still, I'm, I mean, not since Pete Rock have I heard the number of beat changes within the track on one album. I mean, there's like five different songs that end differently than they start, whether it's bringing an element out or flipping the beat entirely. Um, you know, Hit Boy brought his A game, but he's not out to, you know, eclipse Nas and, and try to chase radio in any way, which I think is dope. And I'll be very curious to see, since this album had no single, if radio and those vehicles even respond to it in any way how do they do it what do they play i don't know yeah and so another thing is that you know i think that Nas is in his second prime um you know he had the song second childhood which had different connotations but you know i think there are a few artists now that have had a second prime you know um Nas's first prime i would say was from 94 until about 2001 you know so from Illmatic through Godson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just I like that. that. Okay. And then I think his second prime started. Um, you know, there was a there was a preview of it with Life is Good back in 2012. But then I think it started in earnest with King's disease. He got the Grammy for it. Um, you know, say what you will about whether or not, you know, it was the best album that year. It was one of the best albums in Nas's catalog in the last 10 years. And um, Hit Boy had him sounding fresh, and, and with this second one being even better than the first one, uh, I think Nas is in a new prime. And so I think about artists that have been in, that have had second primes. We talked about a couple already. So Ella, you know, he had his first one from radio through, um, really through Bigger and Deffer, man, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Walk Like a Panther was where a lot of people thought he, he fell off. And then he went on a run from, uh, Mama said, "Knock you out all the way through um, the one with uh, Love You Better," um, and I'm blanking on the name. But the the, the last show he did with the Neptunes around 2001. You know, he had a run for like almost 10 years uh, with that. Yeah. And then uh, Royce, you know, has had a second prime. It's commencing with prime, <laughs> you know, potentially. Um, Wayne, same thing. You know, he had his, his time with with. Um, you know, Cash Money when he first started off, but then when he got in the mixtape mode and started the Carter series is when he really started to flourish. I think that Black Thought is in a second prime now. You know, he had his first with the Roots. and now Without a doubt, yeah. It's a solo one. Um, and Jay may have also done this too. You know, I think a lot of people f- believe that, you know, Reasonable Doubt through the Black album was a prime for him. And then he kind of fell off through and up until about American Gangster or so. But even that, you know, Magna Carta, Holy Grail didn't resonate with people in the same way. 
but now it's kind of come back with, you know, 444. But Nas is in his second prime. What, what do you think about that? 100%. And just, just like you did with the, with the tandems, I mean, I think evidence is a good example of that. Maybe not as much in the mainstream of an artist that's, that's coming back and, and kind of reinventing themselves. And Fonte, too. And, and also, these are guys that I feel like at a certain age are, are coming with new ground. Master Ace is another one that we talk about. But absolutely, I feel that this is a definitive. And, and a lot of people, I think, tried to give Nas that recognition with Life is Good. But it was such a thematic and evolved Nas. But this is the one that's like, yo, I'm Nas. At whatever age he is, you know, lo- looking, down, looking down the alley at 50. And I'm still, you know, very technically gifted. I still got plenty to say. Um, this, is, this, is, this is a really, really good offering. Yeah. And so before we dive into song by song, one other thing I want to cover is features. So Nas has never been a dude to have a ton of features, but when he does have features, they all like count in a major way. You know, um, you know, there are very few where they stick out and, and seem like he's just, you know, trying to check boxes and get people for clout. It always seems like it's something that advances the narrative. The other thing though, and I don't think that Nas gets credit for this is that He's not afraid to let his guests outshine him on a song. Mm. You know, as great an MC as he is, and he's super competitive, there have been instances where, you know, a lot of people believe he's been outshone, you know, uh, starting with uh, Lice Bitch with AZ. Um, you know, this one, there are a couple that we'll get into in a minute, but I, I think are like just unbelievable verses and outshine everybody for the year not yeah. just Nas you know um but but it's a testament to him that he's able to coax these performances out of people and that he he doesn't like uh you know puff his chest up and like you know uh, get in the way of it either I have a theory on that too and I think that Nas's whole genesis pun intended you know being at at you know live at the barbecue with main source and Nas had these incredible guest verses, you know, with Raekwon and Mob Deep and, you know, on and on and on. I feel like Nas has an appreciation for the feature that's at a higher level. And he talks, and we'll get to it at a point on this album, he has a lyric that kind of puzzled me a little bit on these features. But um, I feel like whereas so many artists are protective and territorial about the guests on their album, Nas is a reminder that it should be something special. It's not just like, yo, will you sign my yearbook like, and show that we're cool? Like, and I feel like in a lot of ways, that's what hip hop has become, especially in the internet era, you know, of people emailing each other verses, but it was starting to head that way, you know, even around Y2K and, and Nas just adds so much dignity. And I love the fact that, you know, and, and there's a big moment on this album where he will let his guests just, just stand in front of him and, and get that shine. And I wish more MCs would do that and treat their features with more care like Nas does. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right, so you ready to get into it song by song, man? Let's bust it up. All right, cool. You want to kick it off? Because you, you sent me the pressure as the song of the day, so I know this one was special to you. Yeah, I mean, I think, so Nas is interesting. I think that at times he's gone with kind of the uh, the cinematic intros, um, you know, which even on Nomadic, it doesn't begin with a song. It kind of begins with a tone setter. But there's times where Nas just gets right to it. Um, and he did that on the 2008 album with Queens Get the Money. And the pressure... To me, that is the perfect way to open this album. Um, you know, it just, it, and, and I look at it because so much of this album is about how comfortable Nas is. 
you know, as a man, as a wealthy guy, as an investor, as a, you know, legendary MC. But the fact of the matter is he kind of gives you his, his, his reason for being of like, yo, I'm still, I still got this urge. I still have to do this. And I love it. I mean, it's one of the things that you, who I consider to be a mentor have said to me of like, embrace the struggle, lean into the pressure and why that has, you know, so much value to me, this is the trust the process song. And, you know, I feel like for any skeptic out there that's saying like, why am I listening to a Nas album in 2021? And maybe he's let me down before, whatever. This was the hook. This is like, boom, the, the opening scene to whatever the show or the movie is that you're like, no, 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 no. This is going to be good. And um, I was, to me, it, it contends, especially at a Nas verse level, these might be my favorite verses from, from Nas on the album. Yeah, man, he, he came out swinging you know, right from the outset. Uh, the sound is contemporary. It's not like anything you've heard from Nas before, but it's not chasing trends or anything like that. It's very distinctly his and Hit Boys. You know, um, it's introspective, which is where Nas, I think, shines the most when mm -hmm. it's a beat that's thought-provoking and you can just sit back and, and listen to what he's saying and kind of get lost in his, his flow. Uh, you know, we talked about his beat choices being an Achilles heel in the past. I think that has also led to him not necessarily riding the beat as in pocket as he could at times too. But right off the bat, he's very tight and in the flow and his flow is impeccable with this. And then most importantly, he's dropping jewels throughout the song, like really just sprinkling in wisdom. And he's, he does this during the entire album. This is a sneak preview of what's to come. It's never in a preachy way or, uh, you know, in a, I'm higher than, than thou kind of way. It's just like a dude who's been through a lot, who's been successful in ways that most people haven't, trying to like, you know, spread game and like kick game to people and help them benefit from what he's done. So, you know, he talks, he starts off talking about his legacy and addressing the weight of having to prove himself time and time again. You know, we talked about this earlier. It shouldn't be a surprise to us, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that Nas drops a great album because Nas is a great MC. But he has to show again and again, even coming off a best album of the year Grammy win, that this is best rap album. Yeah, best rap album. Yeah, th 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 this is what he does. You know, um, at the same time, he also talks about his work with the community and you know, um, investing in education and, and doing scholarships. You know, we hear a lot about what Nas has done as a businessman over the last year. You know, with his investments and making upwards of two hundred million dollars to Coinbase and things like that. We don't hear the, the activism part, the, the social justice part. Um, and he sprinkles a lot of that in the album and starts off with this song. He talks about police brutality and even cr criminal justice reform. And then also even throws in personal fitness, man. And he gets into this too. Uh, other stages, he talks about, you know, eating properly, but exercising properly too. So there's a lot of game in this. Yeah, I mean, I even... You know, it's it's bold for uh, a male MC in 2021 to shout out Peloton like that. And part <laughs> of me wondered if like Nas is invested, you know, or whatever. But I know you, Justin, and I debated, you know, the the crypto bar on the. What are you uh, saying about Peloton, man? Like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you saying about Peloton, like, man, not a, not a, not a thing. But you like, not manly to ride a Peloton. No, nah, but I feel like you know Peloton in the way that I've I've seen it marketed as a company has always been to women and first and then to men. No, I'm not knocking that at all. Like everyone's riding bikes right now. But I, I'm, I'm shooting Nas, not Bale, but I'm bigging him up because, you know, 
I feel like Nas got hell for that crypto Scarface line, you know, earlier this year. And I love this fitness line. I love the line later in the album where he's like, personal chef knows low fat, low salt. Um, you know, it, it speaks to your point. I'm just trying to put specifics to it. You know what, man? It's flossing, right? Because, yeah, uh, I agree with you. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Peloton has definitely sold its uh, image as a, a women's lifestyle brand uh, for the most part. You know, there are plenty of dudes who do it. I know lots of guys who do it. Same. But they've marketed it that way. But it's also something that's like a $2,000 plus expense. Um, you know, it's, it's a way of like Escobar, you know, just dropping a, a fly line. He talks about Tesla and another song and things like that. Um, but it's, a, but it, it's, it's like, you know, what he would have done back in the day with a watch or a chain or a car. I think it's cool to be flossy with health, with health, healthy lifestyle. You know, yeah. I think that's just, that's grown man bars, man. It's just, it's different level. And, and why shouldn't we be aspirational to high level fitness, man? I would much rather aspire to that than a lot of stuff that people are talking about. Yeah, then, I mean, and you're absolutely right. That's a great point too. Nas went from, you know, uh, martini sipping to, you know, he would always shout out name brands for images, but you're absolutely right. Like that, that shows the progression right there. And the other great example too, that I neglected to use, I said, Queens get the money. Um, as we talk about Godson, I mean, get down. I mean, that to me is one of the hooks of that album. And this one's like, okay, buckle up. This one's going to be, this one's, you know, going to be a, a, an important ride. And, and oddly enough, this was the joint, that they put on my release radar like this was the first song this week which is interesting because i think sometimes the artists can dictate the songs that get circulated through the algorithms of like past nas listeners so i wonder as we talk about well what is the single if nas and his team at mass appeal were like yo this is the record we want people to hear first you know for whatever reason that may be yeah i'm curious to see how they roll it out i want to see what the first video is what the first single is. I mean, I guess in theory it could have been EPMD, um, but you know, that was the first one and the second one is very different, but yeah. Um, all right. So next song is death row East. Why don't you kick that out too? Cause I, I know this one really. Yeah. Um, this one was interesting. And this was one of the three songs that I had to listen to before I passed out on early Friday morning. And, you know, Nas at first I was like, this could be one of those things where it's not about what you think it's going to be about. But it is, in fact, about Death Row East, which was, um, you know, for anyone that's followed uh, this stuff or ever watched a Vlad TV interview at the height when Death Row came back as the new and untouchable Death Row Records, 96, you know, Tupac is now on the label. Snoop has been acquitted of murder. Um, they were expanding fast. You know, they added a bunch of artists. Hammer was probably the most famous one besides Pac. And one of the things the label wanted to do um, during the quote-unquote east coast west coast beef was start a, you know at a division in new york and sign up talent and from what i've read you know the one artist that they were either made a deal or very close to making a deal with was craig mack you know who had some creative dif creative differences at bad boy and the person that suge used um to kind of uh be a figurehead of of death row east was eric b of eric b and rakim and, you know, people may not know, but in addition to being, you know, the DJ and kind of the business part of that classic duo, you know, Eric B has had his hands in a lot of pots, you know, on the business tip. So he came in and he had a connection to Craig Mack and all of that. And there's this famous um, footage online of Suge and Tupac and all the Death Row people wearing these white T-shirts that say Death Row East. And interestingly enough, one of these uh, 
streetwear brands has recently redone those shirts. I've been seeing people even in, in Philly wearing those shirts around, which is wild. And that particular night, I believe the concert was in, in was in Bryant Park, you know, in Midtown Manhattan. And it might have been, do you, do you know what it was? Was it American Music Awards or Billboard Music Awards? No, it was uh, the VMAs. I think it was the VMAs when uh, when they were on the steps and they were talking, and he and she oh, were we interviewed and uh, they started talking about uh, a new label, Death Row East. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. That was the VM. The VMAs wouldn't have been in Bryant Park, though, right? No, um, I, they might have been like uh, they're probably like a Madison Square, um, Greater Garden. City, or something. Yeah, Madison Square Garden, the the, um, the theater, or something like that. Or, or but in any event, I mean, and, and what I think is so interesting about this song is we tend to forget that Nas has lived through so many eras. You know, Nas was that kid who was in Power Play Studios when Eric B and Rakim were recording and when, when Rakim or Eric B didn't show up and G-Rap recorded and Large Professor recorded and Akineli, Nas was part of that. And very quickly by the mid-90s, um, Tupac in 96 misinterpreted or interpreted, take it how you will, a lyric about fake thugs on the message from It Was Written. And Pac, you know, at that point, had already put out all eyes on me, but used the next two or three months of his life to throw Nas in the beef. You know, it was Biggie, it was Junior Mafia, it was Puffy, it was Mob Deep, it was Chino XL, it was Jay-Z, it was Little Kim. Oh, yeah, and it's Nas, too. Um, So they're really, they're really clashing heads. And there's this famous story, and Snoop has spoken on it. Some of the outlaws have spoken on it. I don't know if Suge ever did, but of Tupac and Nas meeting um, and, and for years, people said Central Park, but it was right there on, what, 41st Street, 40th Street at Bryant at Bryan Park. Um, and Nas talks about it in the song. And what's interesting is, Nas, a couple takeaways for me on this record. Well, yeah, you know, uh, let me jump in. I read something please. today saying that, that Suge had actually um, said in a 1996 interview that as they flew home, Pac had told him about the meeting with Nas in Bryant Park. And they said he wanted to strip Nas's name out of all the music that he was creating for Disses uh, when they got back because Nas wasn't part of it anymore. And Suge said that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is wild because, you know, what we now know is they did not do that when the Machiavelli album came out uh, two months after Pac's passing. You know, all that stuff was still there. And it was it was messy. And, you know, history, history shows that. Um, and it was always interesting to me, you know, in 2001 when Jay-Z and Nas are going into it, you know, Nas uses Tupac's voice on Ether, where Pac's speaking ill of Jay-Z. And both of these guys had had problems with Tupac. But in any event, the song is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. It's Nas just reminding you that he is a veteran of the East Coast, West Coast war. You see everyone wearing these hats now of, of what they're the veteran of, like it's a war. And, and Nas is a product of that. Um, as is Jay, you know, as is Havoc, as are the outlaws. But he's lived it and he, he doesn't go back and talk about it too often, but here he does. He also uses the opportunity to kind of um, exonerate uh, Stretch, which I thought was really interesting. And, and people may know, you know, Stretch was a member of the Live Squad, uh, MC and producer, worked with Tupac early on, um, I believe on the Strictly album and Me Against the World, possibly just Me Against the World. And then later went and worked with Nas on that very same album. It was written, produced actually, you know, some of my favorite songs on the album. He produced Take It In Blood. And Tupac and Stretch had a falling out. And a lot of, you know, Tupac at times had alleged that Stretch was the go-between that set him up in 94 at the Quad Studios. So Nas uses this point 
you know, more than 25 years later to just say, hey, I'm using this opportunity to let you know that Stretch was innocent. And the crazy thing to me, and I wish in a way Nas would have addressed that too, is Stretch was murdered um, shortly after Tupac was in New York City. Um, and I've never really seen it covered very much, but, you know, um, there's people out there that'll speculate that it, it's related, you know, just as Biggie, all of these things, you know, are interconnected at some level. The other thing that I thought was interesting is Nas says when he went to Vegas to shoot the Street Dreams video, which speaks to your point about what Suge said, he very much wanted to use it as an opportunity to show the world that there was peace. Um, and when he was there filming that, you know, Tupac was in the hospital um, and, and died shortly there later. And the song ends with Ed Lover um, asking everyone, I believe at a, a concert Nas is performing, to stop and acknowledge the passing of Tupac. Is that correct on the outro? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it must have been some, it was on some stage um, and you could hear the audience reaction. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, this song, it wasn't my favorite beat, but I got to say, um, it it blew me away because it just reminded me just what a fantastic storyteller Nas is. I think that's something that, you know, we we, we take for granted, you know, a lot of times too. This, this guy, you know, is just such a phenomenal, um, you know, narrator uh, on the world and the things he's done. Uh, you know, a lot of people compare him to Slick Rick in that way. But, you know, he's able to distill in two verses, you know, his entire history with Death Row and his history with Tupac, revealing vivid details that, you know, we didn't know or, you know, were, were very little reported. And then also things that like are, you know, really just um, some street knowledge that, that no one would know. So just very, very powerful. And, you know, to, to be the second song on the album, again, like he just came out swinging, you know. It's a hook. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think of that adage, you know, if, if, if we don't tell our own stories, somebody else will get them wrong. And this is very much Nas using, kind of giving his Vlad TV interview in verse. And I think that's, because this is controversy. And I thought that's, that's really interesting. And Nas is keenly aware of what people care about. And he did this, to your point, brilliantly before on the Godson album with, you know, Last Real Brother Alive, where at the time, I don't think people realized that Nas and Biggie had bumped heads, you know. And again, this is kind of an extension or a companion track of that, of just reminding you where he came from. And I totally agree with you on the beat, too. Yeah. And so the next song was 40 Side. And this is uh, one where it was actually, it felt like a misstep for me. It was probably my least favorite song on the album. Um, I didn't think that the flow went and, and that it kind of meshed with what I'd heard thus far. But even then, he was still dropping jewels on the song. You know, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about in the first verse, almost like it's a self-help book. He's telling people that it's really about action rather than talking. And, you know, it, it does, it's, it sounds, it's almost like he's talking to a person, but you can tell he's talking to uh, a collection of people or a, a mentality of people who are looking for the life that he has without really wanting to put in the grind and, and make the sacrifice to get it. And he talks a lot about people chasing dreams of beaches and things like that and, and women and the high life and things, but not really like being willing to put in the work for it. So uh, he also talks about the Grammy in the second verse. Um, he acknowledges that he won the Grammy, but also says it wasn't the goal. And it makes it seem like the goal is really just to kind of spread the knowledge that he's dropping in this album. 
So um, even though it wasn't my favorite song sonically, it still aligns with the other themes of the album that we hear uh, before and after. I thought this song was interesting. It's not my favorite, but I mean, what's going on in New York right now, you know, at a, at a, a few steps back from maybe the Ambrosia lens is, you know, drill music continues to dominate youth culture, the sound, the beats, the deliveries, and Nas is not that. But if you listen to a Chef G or a Polo G or a Pop Smoke or, you know, a Sleepy Hollow, you can trace some of their aesthetics to Nas and what they're saying in the lyrics. And it's funny because this is the song, like a lot of the album has wisdom, which you can, you can, you can see Nas tracing the line into what's going on. And sort of like what you said about Kanye, I don't think he's pandering here. I think Nas continues to show his relevance and, I thought it's a song that kind of has a contemporary feel without trying too hard. Yeah. So next up is EPMD2. We heard the first uh, EPMD on the Judas and the Black Messiah soundtrack. Just Nas and Hit Boy, uh, although I believe he had Eric and Parrish in the video. Um, uh, it was a great song, um, but, you know, just kind of a, a throwaway, just just kind of a Lucy. Uh, but then he comes back with EPMD too, and we had gotten word of this earlier in the week that it was going to feature both EPMD on the verses and also Eminem. And first of all, it was huge news for us because, as despite the fact they've both been around for almost thirty years now, Nas and Eminem have never rapped on a track together. Um, that was huge given how much both of them have kind of prided themselves on rapping with the greats. Um, and so to have it come at this stage of their career was pretty dope. Uh, but we, we had no idea what it would sound like. And then the EPMD thing, you know, that sounded like, you know, how are all those different styles going to mesh? But then the song comes on and the beat is pretty much the same in the beginning. It's definitely um, charged up a little bit. Um, at one point, there's a beat change, and, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, um, you know, Nas comes in with a quick little intro, and then Eric and Paris jump on, and they go bar for bar, like Crush Groove style, you know, like what Run DMC used to do and Houdini and all these guys from the 80s, where, you know, one will kick a line, then the other will kick a line, then the, the other kicks a line, and it's a back-and-forth interplay. Which, can I ask you a question? I mean, yeah. I, I listen to a lot of EPMD, and we've been around Eric and Parrish together, you and I. That was never really the EPMD style, though, right? Nah, and they, they may have done it a few times, but it wasn't their, like, distinctive style. Typically, like, you know, um, they would just go verse for verse. But, man, they killed it, um, and it just sounded and, – and, you know, they're dropping knowledge, too. They got, they got some, some great lines in there, too. And I love the fact that they didn't try to, you know, out Eminem, Eminem, or out Nas, Nas. They came in, they did what EPMD do, and they just smoked it on their own song, which was dope. Um, and then Nas comes, and he kicks uh, a couple more verses that are really dope. And then Eminem comes on and, you know, I listen to it and, you know, okay. I'm like, okay, cool. Eminem's doing what Eminem does. Uh, but, and he, you know, he goes for a while and then there's a beat change and then he goes like in a double time and Eminem does this a lot where I think that, um, you know, he's another one who oftentimes his cadence doesn't match the, the, the beat and he, he has a very distinctive flow and I think the reason why he shines the most on his own beats, like, you know, um, Renegade and things like that is because 
he he produces for his own cadence and so there's a beat change where he does the the rap god flow where he's just going berserk um and and you know i think that was necessary to capture that and, it, and he did that on the song with like uh griselda and like there's a lot of instances where he does that and i listen to it and i'm like okay dope women in verse you know next but dude today as i was reading through the lyrics this guy you know the first like you know eight bars or whatever is all these metaphors about Christmas and Santa Claus and reindeer and, and all these other things and gifts. And um, he's just, he's just an animal. He did the things that he does are just so technically incredible um, that unless you read the lyrics, I think they go over your head. And then when you read the lyrics, you say, Holy cow, this guy is just, uh, it's just unreal. And so uh, it was, it was a monster verse and, and one of the best I've heard this year. I think that people sometimes may not love Eminem's style and so it doesn't resonate the way that it could, but from a technical standpoint, the verse is impeccable. Um, and so I thought that all three MCs really showed out on this. Um, and I think it was great that they all did it in a way that was true to their own styles. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the song and I wholeheartedly agree with what you say about Eminem's verse, um, especially when you look at the lyrics. I wish, you know, I was never a fan of the rap god flow. Um, and, and, you know, it's Eminem is a target of criticism in, among hardcore hip hop heads, it seems like these days. I'm not just going to pile on. I've, I've reacted the way I've reacted to some of his albums, you know, uh, on this podcast on the places i wish cool g rap still made music like he did when he was with dj polo or four five six that's not going to happen you know i wish cool keith ryan like he did when he was an ultra mag it's not going to happen i think eminem is such a brilliant writer and i think he is so talented sometimes i feel that he's so interested in in kind of chopping you know to use tech nine's term for that delivery that you can lose the message and, you know, on one hand, there's fans out there that appreciate kind of the unwrapping of that, sort of like what you described. There's others out there, you know, when I think of the great MCs and I think of some of the bars of Eminem's career that stick to your ribs at first listen, I would like more of that. You know, I don't mean to, to take for granted this moment. I thought it was great to have Eric and Parrish on there. I, it, it fulfilled a curiosity that I had when the first version of the song came out. And I think that it was exciting, but by no means is it anywhere close to um, the most exciting collaboration on this album for me. And that's no knock to any of the guests. It just, uh, it could have, you know, it, it didn't, didn't hit me in the ribs the way it might hit you. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's not the best collab on the album. Uh, not at all. Um, and, I, and I probably liked the flow of Eric and Parrish's uh, appearance more than M's. But I, I do think that just technically speaking, like M gets taken for granted and the things he's able to do that people just like, uh, you know, are just, just insane, you know. But the substance though of what he said is interesting too. He had this one um, part of the verse where he said, I just pray for the day when I'm able to say that I'm placed with the greats and my names with the Canes and the Waynes and the Jays and the Dre's and the Yays and the Drakes and the Jay Dillers, Jadas and Cool Jays, and the Ross and Amazing as, as Nas is, and praise to the gods of this. Shout to the golden age of hip hop, and the name of the song is EPMD, 
And yeah. so he named a lot of people as the greats. I think it's interesting, one person that he included in there and then one person that he didn't include. So the Drakes, you know, he names all these guys uh, who are great and he doesn't, and he names Drake, who we all know has had a controversy over the years for uh, having others write his lyrics at times. I personally think there's no way that he could always have ghostwriters because it's so consistent and, and his style is so unique and incredible that I think Drake's pen game is like, I, I think he believe, belongs in a sentence. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to hear Eminem say it, especially because I don't believe that they've, oh, actually they have, yeah. Uh, they have, Forever. Oh, forever, yeah, forever. They, they had one song they were on. But the, 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 the omission that I thought was interesting, and I'm wondering if you think this was just because it didn't fit within the rhyme pattern, um, but I, have to, I thought thoughts about that too, is he didn't name Kendrick who I think a lot of people at this point consider to be the goat of his generation and a goat contender, period. So do you think that was an omission? Do you think it didn't fit the rhyme style? Or do you think it was a message? I don't think it fit the rhyme style. I mean, these are, these are uh, by and large, single syllable names, and they all kind of bounce around each other. And Eminem is such a student of that. And also, I mean, and that's the thing too, everyone's kind of piling on criticism of Eminem. I think Eminem is in a really cool season of life as, you know, an entrepreneur, as an artist, he's, he's just celebrating everyone else. Um, and, and that's true of this. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any ill will or anything deeper to read into it. I mean, him and Kendrick have done songs together and I can't imagine anything in the storyline that would change the, the, the good cheer that they seem to be on in the past. I'll just say that Eminem seems to be able to fit anything he wants to into a rhyme pattern. <laughs> <laughs> so it definitely had me scratching my head a little bit, you know, and when I see the Jay Dillas, which doesn't rhyme with any of the stuff in there, I'm like, he could have worked it in somewhere, but uh, uh, I'm not going to start rumors here, but I just think, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that that was a name that I didn't see. There's two other things I, you know, I want to say that I like about this song. I mean, Eminem, the Reddit community loves to make fun of Eminem over mom spaghetti like that. That has become a meme unto itself. And if you notice, Eminem enters the song the minute Nas says spaghetti, which without overplaying it, I thought that was funny. And that was just some some cleverness, probably on Hitboy's part or on the writer's part. I also love, you know, I mean, you know, we've spent a lot of this year just in hip hop talking about our losses and, and how our 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 greats are, are passing away and M does, you know, shout out DMX, Steezo, um, you know, Nipsey Hussle, Ecstasy, Prince Marky D, MF Doom. And he even goes as far as to say, you know, he hit 50 cent after one of these passings on text and told him that I love him because he doesn't know when he's going to see him again. And we've heard, um, I've heard other stories of that, you know, in the hip hop community of people, I forget who it was. We were just covering, people that were at odds and they at least just reached out to each other to know like, yo, um, you know, I'm thinking of you. And it's crazy to me for this, you know, not as a non sequitur, but I had one conversation with doom in my life and we talked about it in our doom retrospective, but doom had told me that, you know, he had been in rooms with Nas when they were both a young age. And, you know, it's, 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 it's M saying it, but it's interesting to me that both um, Nas and doom both came up, kind of under third base different members you know Nas with search and doom with you know prime minister pete nice and i just thought that it's it's just an interesting moment and i love that on this in this moment where they're involving epmd and showing two or three different generations of hip-hop greatness 
but they're also kind of flashing to the folks that we've lost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is, that is deep. You know, one other thing I thought was interesting was in Nas's verse, he said, might walk through a cemetery to see where hip hop is dead, where hip hop is buried. I said it was dead, but it faked its death like Machiavelli. Um, I thought that was interesting, you know, in light of what we talked about before and also Nas like, you know, admitting, Hey, you know, I, I, I said this prematurely, uh, everything has its second prime, including Nas, you know, and hip hop. So, and the artwork for the hip hop is that album cover was him in a graveyard dropping the roast. So yeah, word, word. Um, all right. So cool. You want to, you want to take the next one? Yeah, man. We'll go on into uh rare, um, another song with a beat change. Um, you know, I really thought towards the middle of this album, which this isn't really the middle, but we're probably moving into the second act is where the beats get even better. Um, and you know, you, you just get that, get that chemistry. I saw a lot of people actually online say that this was one of their favorite songs. Um, is there anything about it in particular that stuck to your ribs? Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's a beat that grows on me more and more every time I hear it. What did stick to my ribs is that Nas did kind of a double time flow on this and I haven't heard him. I can't recall the last time I've heard him do that. Um, I'm sure he's done it in the past, you know, but I can't remember another time. So it was interesting to hear him kind of like amp it up and, and, and cool to hear him do it on the song right after Eminem, you know, Mm -hmm. so he wasn't trying to like out Eminem, Eminem on his song. Um, But, you know, he shows you that he's got that kind of, technical expertise too on the next songs and there's a lot of like sequencing on this song like that where uh, you know it alludes to a song in the past and kind of builds on it you know so yeah i feel that and i also just took it to mean that Nas still really enjoys rapping you know that's the one thing eminem in the last three years more than ever i think eminem loves hip-hop you know and and that is what his purpose that's the reason he still makes albums legacy's another but Nas too i mean Nas has so much to say he has so many other things he could be doing with his time that make him way more money, I'm sure, than putting out an album. But he's still, you know, the kid that was too scared to grab the mics in the park. And he's living out his dream. And you're going to get it by, of course, releasing albums. But you're going to get it on another level, too, of just like, yo, I'm going to try different flows out. And I'm going to show, you know, this new generation that I can hang with them, too. And which I think is a great segue into the next song. Yeah, you know, uh, so the next song is YKTV featuring A Boogie with the Hoodie and YG. And it is very much what you just said. It's a nod to the current generation. And it's not showing that he can rap on these beats um, that are out now and also with the, the artists who are popular now. You know, it's to me, this is the, the equivalent of uh, To the Wars 1 on Kings of Thieves 1 with little dirk on it uh it's the contemporary joint you know um if there is any kind of formula um you know i think this kind of falls into it like you know every album has to have a single every album has to have the club banger the contemporary joint the love song the blah 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 this is that you know uh, you know nas can can get with this era record um it's cool for what it is and um you know, I, I like the song, you know, um, I think both A Boogie and YG sound good on it, but it does seem like it is kind of checking a box to me, you know, and I don't know that it was necessary for the album. I think it serves its purpose, but I, I think, I don't think Nas has to prove that anymore. And so, you know, it was cool, but 
uh, I could I could have seen it being left off the album too. You know, Nas has that lyric, and I've alluded to it twice now, where he talks about features of showing others, you know, showing new greatness, new blood, and. You know, you and I tried to do it with Ambrosia. We still do of like, yo, we might get your attention with, you know, the Rock Kims and the Canes and the Kendricks and the Coles. But if 21 Savage makes a dope verse, Waka Flocka Flame goes on Who Kid and has an incredible freestyle, we need to talk about it. And it always feels fun when we're surprised. And I'm not saying that YG or A Boogie did that with this moment, but I imagine this song to be these are two artists of a different era that Nas has really gravitated towards their music maybe through his kids maybe through just following culture and he wanted to do a work with them and i think it's a much more successful song for me than till the war is one on the last album or the joint with don Tolliver. like i like this song a lot more um and, and yg is not a new artist but i thought i felt like yg i haven't heard him this good in a few years but i haven't also been hugely dialed in um and a boogie I, I thought the song works it's not one of my top you know 10% on the album, but I, I think I'm understanding why Nas is doing it more with time. And I don't think he, it's for any other reason than out of his respect and desire to push somebody else into those that strictly check for Nas. Yeah. You know, I think there's another song um, on here that, uh, that, that checks the same box. And so, and we'll get into this a little bit later. If, if there's any criticism of the album for me is that after a while, there are a few songs that are a bit duplicative that I think if he'd left off would have made it a stronger album. But but we'll get to it in, in a second. Um, so Store Run, you know, I, I think builds on, the next song builds on what we were talking about earlier about Nas kind of like making a nod or being uh, mindful or the, the, the playlist being very intentional in terms of like how it was ordered. So you have that YKTV song which I would speculate for most Nas fans is going to be the one that is reflexively off-putting to them just in terms of maybe the sound and or the guests. You know, irrespective of it, I think they're looking at it and that's the one they're going to kind of like, kind of like uh, scrunch their face up and, and, and wonder. But the next one is, as I think, classic as it gets in terms of what I believe people would expect from Nas in that, you know, it's a soulful sample. It's a boom bap beat. It's very, very traditional for what, you know, Nas's sound has represented over the last 25, almost 30 years now. Uh, he's also lyrically going back almost to Illmatic mode where he's juxtaposing that time with uh, where he is now. It's almost a racks to riches story. And he talks about, you know, text in the dresser money of tech, you know, obviously, you know, reference those things um, in, in Illmatic. And now, uh, you know, contrasting that with pushing a Tesla, rolled up a fresh one, it's, it's one IPO to the next one. Uh, but he's also, you know, talking about how, you know, he was fortunate because a couple wrong moves and it, it could have ended up very differently for him. So I thought this was an interesting placement and, um, you know, smart because if you're listening to it sequentially, just when you think, you know, you, you might have to like bounce, comes back with this and, and brings you right back in. Yeah, that's really interesting on, you know, coming after the song that might challenge Nas's core audience. And yeah, he does this interplay of like letting you know, and, and we see that in movies so often of like, you know, the, the, 
the 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 you know i think of scorsese movies like when they show or even the sopranos like the times where tony despite being a boss had to still put in work or showed you what was still the same about him from when he was just kind of a corner guy in 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 jersey and not talking about the tech on the dresser you know obviously going back towards omatic and and still like yo i'm gonna smoke a blunt but i'm also you know i got a tesla and i'm concerned with ipo like um, it's just an interesting juxtaposition and a reminder that despite all of the evolution, Nas hasn't changed. And I thought that that's just, you know, it's slick. Yeah. Um, so next up is moments. Um, so interesting to me, and one of the things that I didn't realize, because um, towards the middle of the album, I mean, and I said that a moment ago, the middle of this album is where the beats are just phenomenal. And Jansport J is somebody he's, you know, we've premiered some of his joints on AFH over the years when he worked with Stolly, but he is, um, you know, for people that follow beat culture and, and guys that make instrumental hip hop and women, um, you know, definitely a mover and shaker in that scene. And he has a few co-production credits on here with Hitboy and Moments is one of them. Um, and, and just shout out to him too, because, you know, he's been, he's done work with Dom Kennedy and Benny and Quentin Miller and, you know, a host of different people, but a real, a producer that's been on my radar for some time. Um, and, you know, I, I think you get the sequencing here too. And I love this line that Nas says in the song, you got to appreciate the moments, bad times don't last. It's that kind of wisdom, you know, where I never sleep, sleep is the cousin of death. Like, again, where Nas just has this ability of still being relatable to people going through it, even though he might not seem like he's going through it. And, and that's what one of the reasons why Nas is so great. You know, Jay has that too, but Nas has always been that guy that kind of wraps you from the trenches at times. And, and this song, um, which is just a collage of reflections, I think does that really well. Yeah, you know, this is another one that is a traditional sounding Nas uh, song, you know, jazz record. Obviously we know his, his background with his father, Oludara. Uh, you know, jazz is a staple within, uh, within Ill Illmatic. Um, and it's a testament. I know, you know, Jeff Sport, like uh, Jay co-producers, and this is where I'm always curious as to who did what. Yeah, especially when the beat uh, changes. Yeah, because it's such a contrast to YKTV and, you know, um, the, the, the drill song. Um, uh, oh, uh, 40 Side. 40 Side, you know. Yeah. But it, it's just... It's 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 um, Nas, you know, and what I think is what's most comfortable with people, and I love it because he's just dropping gem after gem after gem. You know, um, I've never heard Nas sound this wise before. Uh, you know, or maybe let's say um, this is building on how wise he started to sound on Life Is Good. You know, um, he, he was he sounded um, introspective and insightful on Illmatic and wise beyond his years, but this is wisdom that comes with like life experience and you just can't, you can't duplicate that. And so he, he says stuff like my whole career, I steered away from features, but I figured it's perfect time to embrace new leaders, accepted my position as the master teacher, which is like, okay, cool. Like, you know, he's, he, he believes he should be doing these features not to keep himself young, but actually to like, you know, impart his game and pass down like that to the, the new generation. And like, we talk a lot about generation gaps in hip hop and things like that. It's just kind of bridge building and reaching across the aisle that I think makes it greater. 
He also talks about brothers you knew from the sandbox will do you the dirtiest. Government assistant, poverty is big business. Overrun the Senate. Both parties got policies built for the wicked. I mean, you know, uh, given where we are as a country and a society these days, like, you know, those that's game there. And then he says, they say I'm a legacy artist. I blew up the price. I think that's probably going to go over most people's heads because, um, you know, first of all, you know, I think a lot of people know a legacy artist is an artist who's been around for X amount of time. Um, you know, it's almost a euphemism for saying someone is old and past their prime. But then the other implication is that back when, you know, people actually bought music on a, on a piece by piece basis, um, legacy artists albums were discounted. Um, and so, you know, a, a regular contemporary CD might be $14.99 or $13.99 if you're not shopping in a Best Buy. And a legacy album would be at $9.99 because, mm. you know, um, for the catalog and things like that, because there wasn't as big of demand. So that was a way to kind of generate sales. So um, Nas is saying is that, uh, you know, you, you, you place them in that legacy box a little too soon. I, I'm jacking that price back up because He's contemporary and he's proving it on this album time and time again, you know. Um, and then the, the other thing that I love, and this goes back to the Peloton line, is he says, set my feet on a private island, house come with a staff, chef know how to cook with no salt and no fat. Like, you know, so, you know, it's like Jay talking about intermittent fasting on um, their song with, with Khaled, um, Sorry Not Sorry. So, you know, just this kind of wisdom from an MC is what I love because, you know, hip hop has been used to spread so many messages of ignorance and crime and violence and sexism and misogyny and all the other things to weaponize it in a way that is uplifting and, you know, uh, teaching people how to eat, how to take care of themselves, how to invest, how to build businesses is just the ultimate to me. Yeah, I mean, he has another line. Uh... I, and I forget which song it is on the album, but he talks about how he looks younger than some of today's young artists, you know, and, and like he embraces, you know, and, and to me that falls under health too. It's, it's a braggy line, but it's also like, yo, I've taken care of myself when I'm ageless and that matters in hip hop. You and I talk about that all the time. And, and we've, we, we talk about it with the artists that we speak to as well. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I love your point about the legacy artists to me that, that's kind of like Nas's version of, you know, I'm overcharging for what you did to the cold crush. Yeah. Um, you know, and I dig that too, because I'm sure that. It was Jay, right? Yeah, that was Jay, of course. Yeah. But, um, you know, for like festival bookings and things, I'm sure people are always trying to negotiate Nas down and you're not going to do that. And, <laughs> you know, for anyone who's been following the wealth reports too, Nas doesn't need to move on anyone else's time. But um, yeah, this is another one. Like, you know, you talk about one-two punch for albums. Store Running Moments is a great one-two punch for songs, especially for folks that want to have that, you know, that, that, that core Nas feeling. This is not a deviation for what Nas has always done. And these two songs are, you know, in the breadbasket of the album. Yeah, for sure. So the next one, you know, might be the, uh, the Flame and Yawn joint of the record. That might be... Certainly, it's my favorite collaboration Nas has made in many, many years. I think the, the firm reunion full circle was special in a lot of ways. Um, and we talked about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for every one of uh, the fellas and, of course, Foxy Brown. But to watch Nas and Lauren Hill um, 25 years after If I Rolled the World come back together. Um, let me ask you, even before we talk about the song, 
on paper, when we found out about the track listing on Tuesday, what did you expect of this? So on paper, I thought, okay, dope. Like, you know, Nas and Lauren are back together. Um, you know, Nas will rap, Lauren will sing the hook, or maybe it'll be one of these things, because this, this happens a lot now where it'll be a Lauren sample. Yeah. And, you know, but it'll be a prominent use of the sample, like what, what they did on um, DMX with um, with Marvin Gaye, you know. Didn't they kind of do it with Charlie Wilson on the same album, too? Yeah, yeah, they did that on, on with Charlie Wilson, too. And so I'm thinking, cool, you know, it'll, it'll be another one of those. And, you know, I haven't heard Lauren sing. I was looking forward to hearing her voice. Tone is, is great. Um, so, yeah, but I was looking forward to the Eminem feature, you know. Um, and so then when I started listening to it, it was weird to me because there's a female like vocal, like a sound there. And um, I was like, okay, is that Lauren? Like, you know, how come, like, if so, then like, I feel really cheated because this is not a very prominent usage of Lauren. This is, yeah. you know, and Nas raps two verses and I'm like, damn, okay. You know, and then it happened. You want to go from there? Yeah. I mean, and again, like I'll, 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 I'll bury the lead for a second. Hit boy does an amazing job of bringing in Lauren the same way with spaghetti boom M's on the song. He, he does this repetition thing where he raises the level on the volume as Lauren enters. It's just, it's hip hop, you know, it's, it's, you got to make an introduction. And to me for the rest of this song's life, it'll have that dope, like, Oh, I'm ready for this now. And Lauren came in truly. I mean, um, these are the kind of verses that keep me invested in hip hop to the level that I am after all these years. Like it is impeccable. There is not one throwaway bar on Lauren's end. And, you know, the song itself is about, you know, just trying to be anonymous in the world, you know, stripping yourself of fame. Um, Nas mentions that, you know, he says houses on Long Island, they always found them, which I imagine him to mean like even when he was trying to get away from Queens and the five boroughs, boom, I'm sure people were trying to find him in his yard like those kids did Joe Budden. He said in the South, I never really went outside. And in L.A., Dre warned me, be careful. You know, there's more to it than the palm trees. So that's Nas's take. And, he, you know, there's some other, you know, things in there with Lauren. She comes in and she uses this moment to address who she is, kind of why she went away, you know, why she has been very reclusive, um, why she's late to her concerts, and really what she's fighting for. And if there's ever been somebody that I feel like has kind of gotten criticized in hip hop at a legendary status, it's El Boogie. Um, you know, people have been upset when they go to her shows and she doesn't show up or she's three hours late. And Lauren comes in with this just incredible, like, I don't owe anyone anything. And, and my fight is bigger than whatever you think it is. Um, it just, it's, it's truly, um, I'm going to say it. I think this is the verse of the year for me right now and this is my favorite minute or so on the album hands down and that is not in any way shape or form a knock at Nas it is just um the highest flattery to to Miss Lauren Hill but what about you man a hundred percent cosign like um there are moments I can remember distinct moments this first of all this is why I do this this is what makes me love not just hip-hop but music but those magical moments that stop you in time when you know that you are hearing greatness when you are witnessing something special as it unfolds it's times like this that make me do this and you know i, I heard that with the buster rhymes album we talked about that 
You know, I think back to the first time I heard uh, uh, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. You know, I heard the intro, which was cool. And then when I heard the first, like, dun, 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 like five notes of like, um, of um, F with Dre Day. Uh, F with Dre Day. Yeah. I had to stop it immediately. This is back at the time where you had your CDs, but whenever you like something, you put it on cassette so you could walk around with the Walkman. I had to stop it immediately. I had to get my cassette in there and hit record for the album and it just changed my whole life, right? So when I hear, okay, like I said, I'm listening to it. I'm wondering where the hell is Lauren? And then when I hear her voice come in, I'm like, oh, we got a verse? And then I'm like, to quote my favorite uh, character from The Wire, Clay Davis, she, <laughs> I was like, wow, yo. And to me, this song is perfection, man. The beat is impeccable, soulful, gives each one of them an opportunity to breathe, you know, uh, suits them both perfectly. The song, the concept, again, when you step back and, and, and read the lyrics and really understand what it's about, it's about the serenity of anonymity, right? His first, Nas's first line is about Chappelle and leaving and going to Africa to like detox and get away from all the, the, the insanity that comes with fame and the pressure and stuff like that. And then who better to get on a record like that than Lauren Hill, who, like you said, has been a scapegoat and a prisoner to her own fame since 1997. And like Chappelle, decided to walk away at the top of her game and actually really never came back. She, she dips in and out like for performances and things like that. But she never came back into the spotlight the way that Chappelle did, right? And for us, I can't remember the last time we heard a Lauryn Hill verse. Right, yeah. Like, I, I, it may have been like 20 years. It, it may have been longer. And to get a verse like this, where her pin game is as razor sharp as it is. I mean, she's just slicing and dicing and lets you know she's been reading, she's been hearing the commentary. And like you said, it's beneath her. She talks about being late when she's trying to save souls. Like, I mean, and it's just, it's just, it's incredible, man. So um, this record was the pinnacle, not only of this album, but one of the pinnacles of the year in hip hop for me, as great as Lots versus, you know, Dipset was, as great as like, you know, J. Cole's album has been, as great as all the things that have been, this moment was one of the most special to me. It made me emotional, man. Um, just unreal. Uh, so yeah, this was, this was a highlight for me, for sure. You know, the other thing I like about this record is, you know, I embrace where hip hop is going. I think you see it a little bit on the, the kind of the melodic side. And I also think you see it on the rock Marciano and all of his disciples side of people that are being free form with their deliveries. You know, like I don't need drums. I don't have to rap on beat. And we see that throughout. And I think you and I have both evolved to a point where we celebrate that at times we don't, you know, hip hop is changing. It's this living, breathing thing. That said, when two MCs can come and be completely in pocket and, and use the drum to kind of create this metronome effect, especially Lauren's verse. I love that. I mean, I love it because it feels like jumping rope or, or boxing. Like you feel the rhythm that I've always loved in hip hop. So that's one. The second is, you know, Lauren has been criticized for her voice, her singing voice, which like any artist is going to evolve over, over time. And I mean, you know, she's gifted, especially, you know, on, on miseducation and, and, and especially the score. 
Um, you know, Lauren could do incredible things with her singing voice and her rapping voice. I don't, I don't know that I agree with the criticism against her singing voice. There have been joints throughout the years that show why she is so gifted. But what I like is, you know, on the rapping side, she being that this is the first time in close to 20 years I've heard her, her voice has changed and she sounds authoritative. This doesn't sound like the, you know, uh, you know, the Fuji la of like being very whimsical and, and playing with her voice. This is like the all knowing, like I'm coming at you. And, you know, as we talk about Andre 3000 and detox and J electronica and these kind of these, these lost grails within hip hop, I really hope that the love that Lauren Hill gets out of this moment um, convinces her to do more of this. I won't say album or anything like that, but, you know, I remember, you know, you and I, when we put her in the finding the goat, like six years ago, whenever that was, um, you know, she deserved to be there. And this is a stark reminder. And the fact that, you know, how many people can take 20 years off rapping and come back this sharp? Yeah, that's I'll a full circle moment because ironically, she lost to AZ uh, in that finding the goat competition. Another MC who... Um, I've shown Nas on one of his own, his own tracks, but you know, you know, this is a reminder that this woman is one of the greatest MCs to ever touch the mic. Period. She has skills that can match anyone, and she just hasn't had the catalog to showcase it enough. But like song for song, bar for bar, she's bad, dude. This was like Barry Sanders coming back and running for 200 yards in the game. This is like MJ coming back for one game and dropping 50 right now. It's just. Yeah. And she didn't lose a step. It was just so precise, so impeccably on beats. The substance was incredible. The rhymes were just impeccable. She just, uh, it was, it was, it was masterful. Now one throwaway bar, and even I'm going to tell you something, the bar of Nas is that I might've hated most on the album and it's changed. I mean, for Friday and Saturday, I hated it is on this song where Nas goes, this song is kind of esoteric. Um, and I might, I'm paraphrasing. He might say the theme of this song is kind of esoteric. I was like, damn Nas, like, Why'd you say that? Like, especially before Lauren comes in. But you know what I realized about that verse? That line, or that bar rather, that bar is exactly why J. Cole holds Nas in such high regard. J. Cole does the same exact thing. You know, he'll come in and he'll break the fourth wall in one of those verses and just like let you know that it's a work in progress. And I've come around on, I'm like, yo, that was kind of ill, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now Nas's verse, man, uh, there's so much chatter about, Lauren's verse that I think Nas's verse is kind of getting lost in it, but Nas's verse was tremendous too. This was just, just from front to back, just a, an incredible song. Uh, really, really dope song. Definitely going to be a contender for song of the year for me. Word. Yeah. I mean, I would love it to see, you know, you mentioned the Grammys earlier. I would love to watch meaningful songs of this stature get consideration for rap song of the year. And, uh, yeah, this is something special. Lauren didn't sing on it, or I would be like, you should get the collaboration one. But anyway, you were going to say something? Can you imagine seeing this perform live by the two of them, man? I mean, wow, that would be incredible. Wow. Yeah, that would be wild. So we mentioned Charlie Wilson a minute ago. Um, no Phony Love, which is, um, you know, Nas has historically um, always had, at least on his post Y2K albums, or I Am had one. I'm trying to think if it was written had one. But there's always been some, you know, relationship records. And this is one. This is another Jansport J co-production. Really like what they did with the beat. Um, you know, Charlie Wilson, I know you get on here and 
love to tell me that I hate R and B. Uh, <laughs> Charlie Wilson has one of my favorite voices. Period. Gap band solo. Um, Charlie Wilson is so so, so more than R and B. All right, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Reggie schooling me on Uncle Charlie. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, this is this this song I actually really liked, and it's it it comes in after this heavy duty moment and i feel like you know how else are you going to shift it but to come in with this um so i this is one of the songs that is probably in my top 10 percent of the album which you might not expect but what do you think of it yeah again like it's weird because charlie wilson is one of my favorite singers i love the gap band um like his solo stuff i love features uh like stuff he's done with snoop has, has been great you know but for whatever reason, the, the Charlie and Nas uh, formula doesn't work for me. You know, mm. I, I wasn't a big fan of Car Number 85. I know that was a, 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 a favorite of yours on King's Disease 1. Um, and this one, too. Um, it, this is one that sounds kind of like a sample in, in yeah. the beginning. And uh, But, yeah, it just, just didn't do much for me. I, I do like the substance of the song, though, like Nas breaking down um, the breakdown of a relationship. You know, uh, goes back to life is good kind of times, although not some the same kind of stakes with this one. Yeah. But again, just not showcasing how insightful his pen is and his how strong the story game is. I mean, he had that song on King's Disease One, the Anderson Pack joint, which I assumed to be covering his relationship with Nicki Minaj, which was short lived, at least according to the tabloids. And this one, I was wondering, you know, I, and, and, and at the same time, I don't care because maybe Nas isn't giving you his life. It could be a composite of different relationships. But yeah, I mean, it definitely was, I think, for a lot of folks out there, relatable in some way. I like the song a lot. And, you know, again, we talk about the sequencing of this album. Brunch on Sundays is also a relationship record, but it's kind of um, something that I, I interpreted to mean those newer relationships where, you know, like, you have a wild weekend, but we always have brunch on Sunday. And it's, I got to say that song is, is probably one of my least two favorite, but it's grown on me. Um, it's funny enough, like played it this morning, which happens to be a Sunday. And I was like, I, I kind of get it. And it, but it also, again, it's a reflection of where Nas is at with his life. Like I can't imagine a kid growing up on, you know, the 41st side of Vernon to you know know what brunch was like that term is always kind of funky to me to then go and you know you're you're grabbing bottles of dom for everyone you're watching everyone laugh you're outside you're living life it's it's a you know it's a vivid image of you know i think being a single successful man uh of nasa stature yeah you know this is where um this is another part of the album that starts to lose a little steam for me you know mm-hmm. i thought that there's nothing bad I'll say about it. The song is cool. You know, the 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 beat is cool. The, the verses are cool. But it was nothing memorable to me about it. And it was the same thing for Count Me In. You know, I just, um, I just didn't think that either song was up to par with the rest of the album. And for me, this is an instance where less would have been more. You know, I think without these two songs... Uh, for me, I probably would have done without, you know, No Phony Love or um, the song, which, you know, fittingly, I keep forgetting its name. 40. Uh, uh, yeah, 40 side. Yeah. You know, those are all songs that are forgettable to me. Yeah. They, they weren't, none of them were offensive to me. There was no song on here that I thought was just hot garbage. There's no song I'm skipping every yeah. time I play it. 
you know. Well, I mean, these are songs though that, like, if I were creating my own version of the album, I would just omit them, you know. Um, but uh, you know, but again, I don't find them offensive. I just think that they took away because in a time where attention spans are shorter and like 45 minutes or so is like kind of a perfect album. And then you think about Illmatic, it was 11 songs, like 37 minutes, something like that. Yeah. 41 Um, minutes, 10 songs, I think. Right. Yeah. um, That kind of, that is, I think pretty standard for classic albums is that there is no filler buses actually shockingly, like it just is even a greater feat because extinction level event two is so long, yeah. But it's just got so many bangers and so many beats and like you know progressions and things like that. It's a testament to the album. This one though, I think would have been stronger without without those songs. It's funny too. Like I looked on Spotify and there's a huge drop off after No Fake Love. Like people are riding through this album, and then you know. And I don't, I wonder too if No Fake Love is because they finished the Lauren verse and go into the next mm-hmm. or not. Or there's just, you know, but I think you're right. I think if there's a third or a fourth act, I mean, it's a weaker point. And we'll talk about a, a good kind of denouement at the end, but I get you on that. And I completely agree with you on Count Me In too. I didn't have a lot to say about that song. Yeah. Well, so composure though is where the album picks back up for me. And it's it's a nice surprise because I thought, as probably most people who were tailing off did, that the album was going to be kind of wrapped up after the, the Lauren song. But this is a song where Hit Boy steps from behind the boards into the booth and showcases that he's a, a really great MC again. And he had done this on Judas and the Black Messiah in a way that surprised me. A couple of songs, uh, one of the songs I put in the playlist is is just his song by himself. Mm-hmm despite the fact that that album is so star-studded with like, you know, truly established MCs. And this dude, man, he, you know, he is showing that he's a real legitimate double threat MC producer. You know, um, his output, the substance is great too. He says, focus on the output, not, not the outcome. Um, and, you know, the sample is great. Another one that he picked really that would work for him and for Nas. Nas is great here too. He talks a lot about his life growing up with his parents, uh, you know, them as a family, which you don't hear a ton about from him. And he also talks about, you know, you know, the musicality that he had when he was younger. He started off like, you know, doing music when he was a really kid, a small kid, you know, it wasn't just teenage Nas in, in his room rhyming. Like he was, his relationship with music began as a young child. So, you know, really cool autobiographical verse. Um, in, a, in a, a song that had a lot of energy and picked the album back up for me. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said there. Um, and I want to let you talk about my Bible because I know that that is a real highlight for you. Yeah, you know, so, you know, I wrote in the document that this might end up being my favorite song on the album. Um, yeah, I don't know that that can be the case with, with nobody on it because, but nobody almost doesn't count. It's like, it's just, it's a cheat code. It's just so great. You know? <laughs> yeah. But my Bible, the beat, you know, um, fits with the title. It, it definitely sounds like he and hit boy are going for kind of a gospel angle to it. This has got gospel chords. It feels a lot like a just blaze production for me. You know, I think about Lord knows and, and, and songs like that. And it's a very big production. It's, 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 it's weird because it's just blazes. Productions are, 
loud and like, you know, turned up like high in, um, in the levels. This one is more muted than that, but it still has that same kind of energy. Very soulful. It's got organs. It's got drum rolls. I think there's samples, but it feels like at times it could be live drum, drum rolls, which is also very much uh, Just Blaze trademark. So and I love Just Blaze. And so I get that feeling from this record. Um, but then Nas's performance, again, is just impeccable. And he has three verses, one for men, one for children, and one for women. Uh, the one for men and children is inspiring, but also like cautionary tale. Um, uplifting words uh, and, and for women it's just uplifting words and celebratory and talking about how we don't like um, respect them enough and hold them in high enough regard and this is just his 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 bible verses from from his life and the song just works for me in just a fantastic way and I think personally that it would have been the ultimate ending to the album to end on that high note uh, really with uh, incredible production and verses that touch on a lot of the themes that were done earlier, um, but, you know, break them down into like specific demographics like that. But I, I just thought it was a, a fantastic song. I agree with, with everything that you said. I totally hear the Just Blaze derivative. I thought this is kind of the hit boy that we got with Benny's Burden of Proof last year, which had that same kind of effect. Um, and I do think Just Blaze is the Phil Spector of hip hop when it comes to that big, bright, loud, many different sounds in there. And I love whenever anyone does it. Um, I don't think anyone does it as well as Just, but Hit Boy is, is right up in there. And, and this was, again, one of the better beats of the album. I agree with you, too. The other thing, I, I think it would have been the artful place to end the record. But I feel like, you know, it's, it's the easy rider, the ending of the Sopranos of like, boom, this is where I'm going to leave you but it doesn't necessarily feel like an ending. And that's why we got one more song, uh, Nas is Good, which I took to be just that, you know, Nas kind of riding out the album um, with us. Even the production just feels like an outro. Like if this was a movie, you know, you can like see where your keys are, grab your trash. It's, it's time to get up and go. Um, and Nas just uses the moment true to the title to affirm himself, kind of look at where he's, where he's come from, where he's going. And, you know, it, it, it bookends this work of art that I know we've, we've spoken about some of the highs and some of the midpoints, but really I think resets Nas in a very nice way um, as one of the legends of hip hop, who's got, you know, great albums in the nineties, of course, great albums in the two thousands. And I really think, you know, this is the album, like I said, of, of the last nine years um, that, you know, if we say life is good for the 2010s, this sets Nas up nicely for the, for the 20s, especially after just winning a Grammy last year. You know, he got the award this year, but for an album, I, I, think, it, I think he's in a really, really good place. And I think that people will be ready to receive a Nas album differently after this one. Yeah, you know, um... It wasn't my favorite song, but I hear your point, and I can see it as being, if we're going to go back to the workout, the, the, the equivalent of the cool down. Word. You know, um, it's not meant to be the one that, like, snaps your neck, but it's a great way to kind of, like, wind down off of, after a really great album, and especially a song like, um, you know, My Bible. So I can see that. All right, so that being said, let's, let's contextualize this album a little bit. Um, 
versus King's Disease One, it sounds like we both agree that this one is the, the better album, maybe even the far better album. And that's not taken away from King's Disease. Yeah. It's really big upping this album, which is a, a phenomenal work. Uh, is, do you agree with that? Yeah, and I even played King's Disease One this morning um, in between listens of, of KD2. And I, I really do believe it's the far better album. And, and again, to emphasize your point, that's not taking away from the first one. I personally, and people very much, this is, this is subjective as all hell, I think Godson was a far better album than Stillmatic. And Stillmatic is the one that people tend to call the, the, the better of the two. Um, but for me and for you, yeah, this is a huge level up. Yeah. All right. So where, where would you put it in Nas's catalog? Is it top five for you? It's not top five for me. Um, it's somewhere between six or seven, you know, and I feel like I said something similar about a year ago, but it, I really like to contextualize it that way. I, I don't even know that this is the kind of album that's swing for the fences that way. I think this is a really great album that shows Nas in a new decade. Um, and it shows him much more personally and fully formed than King's Disease One. Um, that's just, that's my take. What do you- what, well, So what's in your top five? Corso Maddox, number one, it was written as number two. Number three is um, Godson. Number four is Life is Good. Um, for me, I would probably tend to go number five as Untitled, and then, and then it's this. I do like this more than Distant Relatives. I like it more than King's Disease One. Um, and yeah, the, the Nazir album, I, yeah. I like it more than I am. I like it more than Nostradamus. Yeah, it's six is a really good spot, I think. And I, I'm not distant relatives. I shouldn't even be mentioning um, period. But, you know, to me, that was more of a Nas album than like The Firm. That was a group record. But uh, yeah, six. What about you? Yeah, this one makes it into my top five. You know, I think mm. I'd had King's Disease one in my top five. Um, this is better than King's Disease one. So it displaces it. You know, for me, I have Illmatic, Godson, um, Stillmatic, Life is Good, and then King's Disease, too. And I misspoke, too. I, I said Untitled, and I meant to say uh, Stillmatic. Um, I would put this above the Untitled album in 08, for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Okay, so then what about, where's it stand in 2021, and then also in Grammy year 2021? Grammy year, I think it's definitely there. I um, I think that, you know, my hope is, to your point you made a moment ago, I hope that Busta Rhymes is not forgotten. That album 100% deserves to be among the five nominees. I firmly believe J. Cole does. I don't know that I believe that DMX made the best rap album of the year, you know, as a contender there, um, especially as I come back to that album. But I think that it will be um, as it stands right now. I think we'll see that look. And then, you know, so I, th that puts it at what, four? Uh, Busta, DMX, Nas, J. Cole. And if the, if the season ended today, as it were, as the fifth nominee right now, what I think the Grammys would pick, Tyler. Tyler. Yeah, man, it's going to be, wow, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a really, really tough one this year. Um, I think it, it'll be tougher for Nas this time, given that he was just given the Grammy um, last year. Um, I, I think Cole is a better album. I think Bus is a better album. 
but not by much on the cold side, you know. Um, uh, but uh, those for me are the top three albums of the year so far. Um, I can't, yeah, those, those are probably my top three right now. That's interesting. I love, I love, or uh, evidence is in there for me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Evans is a strong one. You know, I love Skyzer's album, but yeah. Evans there too. I think this is definitely in my top five of the albums, you know, just me personally. Ev for sure, J. Cole. Um, I would still likely include Benny, Plugs I Met too. And then, yeah, Sky and, and Tyler, I'm back and forth with right there. Yeah. Um, you know, really, really enjoying that Tyler album with time. And Sky's who just made a really crisp, tight body work. So, yeah. Yo, so it's turned into a great year for hip hop, man. And But we got more on the way. We got Kanye coming out with Donda at some point this year. Um, very possibly got Kendrick. We got Travis Scott possibly coming out. We got Drake coming. There's a lot. There's a lot coming. Yeah, man, it is. Well, I mean, it's been, uh, we didn't really talk about new music last week. I don't know. Is there any new music highlights worth bringing up on your end? Uh, listen to Pink Sifu today, uh, you know, and like that album, added a, a song or two to the playlist. I think, um, I think, you know, that artist is, is, is one to, you know, that slides in a lot of radars, but has been making pretty great music for the last couple of years or so. So um, that's something I listen to. And I saw there's a new uh, Rome Streets out, but I haven't listened to that yet. How about you? Yeah, I played the Rome Streets, really liking it. It's a collaboration with Future Wave called The Razor's Edge. And Rome, you know, I'm, I worked on my top 15 list over the weekend now with Nas. And, and his joint with uh, with DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, Death and the Magician, I think it's called, just up there. And, and one that I feel like may have belonged on our mid-year list. Um, but in terms of new music, I've been spending a lot of time with Flying Lotus's album. Um, which is a soundtrack to, I hope I'm saying this right, Yasuke. Um, it's like 26 one to two minute songs, a lot of instrumentals, but also Denzel Curry's on there. I've always been a fan of Fly Low, but this is, I've really been enjoying this. Um, and then also, you know, we just talked about Benny. Um, Benny has another Black Soprano family project coming out. And Rick Hyde is, you know, one of the stars of Benny's team, MC and producer out of Buffalo. So Rick Hyde, Benny, and G Herbo, of all people, made a joint called Alone that I've been playing this week. And there's an album coming out on the 20th of the month with a crazy list of producers, uh, Derringer, Alchemist, uh, DJ Shea, RIP, Harry Fraud, Sean Money XL. Um, I'm really excited for that. I, I've watched Rick Hyde on a few of those freestyles, just body it. And I think Benny has, you know, it's like a pyramid. Benny's got his team. Um, and it's great to see. And the other artist that I've been playing a lot is G Perico out of uh, South Central. And he put out a joint called L.A. Summer, which is just you talk about car music. Really been feeling that, too. That's dope. One other album I've been listening to is uh, Tanya Morgan. They have an album coming out on the 13th called Don and Vaughn. Uh, really dope album. Um, great to see these brothers back. Um, I think you, uh, people are going to dig it. I know you will. Um, so yeah, man. Well, with that being said, what's your song of the week? Yo, I'm going to keep giving, uh, King's disease to its flowers. I'm going to go with pressure. That song just hit me in the ribs and I have a feeling I know what yours is. Yeah. It's actually nobody. Uh, I, I can't, I can't, I, that, that song is just unreal to me. Just unreal. So love that. Love my Bible, but I'll give it to, 
nobody this week and, and maybe my bubble next week. We'll see. Boom. There it is. Yeah. Yo, man. Well, shout out to Nas. And uh, yo, thanks to uh, everyone that's been tuning in. We've gotten a lot of new listeners and viewers over the last few weeks. And I can't tell you what that means to me. Yeah, man. Same here. Same here. And like I said, if you don't want to watch Jake and me, uh, you know, you can always listen to us on Spotify or Apple Music or iHeart or, you know, wherever, wherever podcasts are found. But definitely appreciate anyone who's made it this far and anyone who tuned in for just a couple minutes or, or whatever it may be. So, yeah. All right. All right, man. Until we do it again. Yeah. Peace, man. All right, man. Peace. Bye.